If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. So hello everyone, welcome to the show. Here we are again with Internet Marketing and we have Daniel Rolls, Head of Internet Marketing. Hello there. And we have Jeremy Jacobs, Internet Project Manager. Hello there. And today we're talking about usability. Absolutely. Usability of websites. So why don't we start off by um, perhaps asking, what is usability? Um, I think the bottom line with usability is about making your website easier to use for the customer, for the user that's using the website. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about not putting obstacles in their way and allowing to achieve the targets, whatever they're trying to achieve through your website. Um, and that's, that's the key thing. It's, it's really about um, thinking from your customer's point of view and just mm-hmm. thinking about what they want to do when they get to your website, what they're trying to achieve and just not making it difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a classic thing. It was always a statistic that uh, something like 60 to 80% of people dropped out when they were on a, on a site trying to buy something. Oh, giving up halfway through. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And that could be because they couldn't find the product or you know, the, the shopping cart process yeah. didn't work properly yes. or whatever it may be. Yes. But if you could increase your turnover of your business by 60, you know, 60 to 80%, it would be mm-hmm. phenomenal. So it's an awful lot of orders and uh, people are losing. Now, I've been there myself, actually. I've tried to buy things on the internet and just given up. Yeah, absolutely. Halfway through. And even if you're not trying to, you know, people don't even buy things through your website, they might just be trying to find your contact details or learn about your company. Um, and it affects your branding because at the end of the day, if your website is difficult to use, people come away from the website with an impression of you that's different to yeah. what you probably want. Yeah. So it does affect um, all kinds of companies, charities, small businesses, um, arts websites, all kinds of different things. It really kind of reflects the image of the company and the individual. Um, mm. Even when you have an individual that has a website, it's still very important that the website's usable and people can achieve what they want to achieve. And it's a big area of usability, isn't it? Mm. I, mean, I mean, there must be some sort of generic rules that you have to use, but I mean, what, what, what do you have to sort of focus on if you're, if you're designing a site from, with usability in mind? Well, I think the first really important thing to really start out is to actually really sit down and think about who your target audience is, mm-hmm. okay? Um, a lot of people um, will, will come, you know, think about their website and not actually really think about who's coming to use their website. Um, there's ways of getting that information um, through access to things like web stats, web blogs, which can tell you who's actually coming to your website, maybe what countries they're coming from, you know, different areas, right. things like that. Um, and actually sitting down and working out, you know, what they're coming to your site for and what they want to achieve and then making sure that the, the your primary target audience and the things that they want to achieve they can do as quickly and easily as possible yeah um, just to add to what Dan was saying earlier about you know you know people dropping out we have to remember that you know if you own a shop and someone comes in and you give them bad customer service you'll see them walk out the door yes um, but with websites 
we're not really going to know um, no. very easily. So you know, these are what we call silent losses. Right. So we need to make sure that you know these aren't happening. Um, as much as possible. I think that's very true. It's really about taking a step back from your own website. We all get lost in our own websites and projects. I mean, if you're if you're doing anything for long enough, you lose perspective on it. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. I think it's just about taking a step back and thinking, okay, what I'm actually trying to achieve here. And a website shouldn't be about ego. It shouldn't be about you know, oh, I want it to be very whiz bang and you know, pretty and like that. It should yeah. be really about what does a user need, what does a user want. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can get a bit very pretty at the same time, then that's all for well and good. But yeah. you need to really kind of think about what the user's objectives are. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you're, if you're, I mean, you're emotionally attached to it as well, aren't you? Uh, I mean, if you've been designing a website, you can't see the wood for the trees, really. Yeah, it's yeah. no good trying to test it yourself. You have to get a third party normally, mm. don't you? Absolutely. I think mean, that's the thing. That's, I mean, something we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more, but it is um, letting other people test your website yeah. um, can really show you an awful lot that you would, you'd be quite surprised at. Yeah, yeah. So I find my mother's actually a very good website test. If I, if I design a web app, I'll say, Mum, try and use that. Absolutely. And if you yeah. can't use it, I know it's, it's rubbish, basically. Yeah. And I have to make it so she can. Yeah. Well, most, um, I mean, two usability experts that we, we sort of spend a lot of time looking at the research to, uh, Jakob Nielsen and yeah. uh, another guy called Jerry McGovern as well. Right. Um, and, they, and they do say that, you know, generally you can get five people to test your site for you, anyone. Yeah. Um, and within those, you know, those five people testing your site, you'll be able to, you know, find out the major problems, you know, the pretty really quickly. Ones, very, very quickly. Yeah. And that can be your friends, your family, you know, your mum, your nan. Um, so it doesn't have to be expensive or time consuming. And I think that's something that people miss out. They'll, they'll get so keen to get their lovely site they've just built up onto the web. Yeah. They don't actually take this into consideration. And then, of course, the do, do, do you think it's really bad to get a site up there before you've tested it? Or do you think it's Absolutely. okay? So it's not okay to put it up and then test it? You should, you should get it tested before it goes live? I think there's two stages. I think you can get a site up there and <clears throat> as long as you've got a, a good base idea, but you've got to be careful you don't alienate your customers I mean if you can refine the website as you're going on then that's I mean everyone should be doing that anyway Yeah. but you do need some level of testing first of all because the problem is if there's dead ends in that site you're not even getting any data back because you don't know that after three steps into the shopping cart nothing works Yeah. so you do need a certain level of testing I think you know um, every website should be constantly being tested and constantly being developed. It should be an iterative kind of process that you're yes. going through all the time. Constant improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's, as Jeremy said, the whole thing about silent losses, unless you're very carefully monitoring what's going on your website, you don't know what's going on. You could be getting thousands of people coming and you're just thinking, well, I'm getting no traffic, that's why I'm not getting any sales. But that may not be the case at all. So, mm-hmm. um, so you, you mentioned stats. I mean, how, how do you actually know what people are doing? How do you analyse those stats? I think that... Um, that you do most most web service space that you'll get will have some sort of access to web logs. Yes. that will tell you how many people are coming, roughly where they're coming from, how long they're staying for, maybe what page they're coming in on, what page they're leaving on. Which is a good set of information to start from because you know that if every um, if pretty much everyone's leaving on the same page, then there's something wrong with that, that one individual web page. Ah. Um, unless it happens to be your homepage, because about sixty percent of people will quite often just come in and drop straight out because it's not what they're looking for. Yes. Make a very quick decision. Yeah. But if it's two or three into your website and they're all dropping out on that page, there's a problem with that page. Right. So that's a good first starting point. The next stage to go from the web logs is to analytics. Um, right. And analytics gives you a lot more information in a lot more detail. Um, and allows you to see visually what's going on and look at it in terms of marketing and business and that kind of right. thing. So is analytics a more detailed look? Is it more? Is it where the data has been interpreted more? It is. And right. it, it, um, web stats can have the limitations. With um, analytics, you've got a bit more clarity. That's the key thing. Yeah. Um, the good thing is now that Google give away an analytics package free called Google Analytics. Right. So if you set yourself up a Google account, 
Yes. Um, you can literally go and get Google Analytics for free. Gives you a piece for of, your site? Yep, for any ah, site. Ah, okay. Gives you a piece of code. You put it on every single web page on your website. Yeah. And then you can go in and you can see the stats. You can see what's going on. Right. It'll either give you a, a visual representation of any particular page on your website and tell you who's clicked where yeah. and what percentage of people have clicked on that link. Okay. Now, the useful thing about that is if you've got five menu options... Um, and you basically want to know what's the most important menu option, what should you be focusing your efforts on, you can see which one most people have clicked on compared to the others. Yeah. So it's, it's a really, really useful tool, and I really strongly advise people to use it because it's free. So okay. It's so that's Google Analytics. Yeah. Is, is there an address for that? You just If you go to analytics.google.com. Analytics.google, right, okay. Yeah, and you'll find it straight away there, and it's, it's a pretty straightforward thing to implement as well. There's huge amounts of features, so if you want to get into it in more depth, and obviously there's everything there, but it's yeah. a good starting point. It's a good place to start. Okay. So, so once you've got that information, yep. I mean, what can you actually tweak on the website? How, do you, how does one take that information and well, change I think, things? Yeah, I think it's important to mention about how people actually read websites. I mean, there's there's been a lot of research done into sort of things with these eye tracker studies where they actually monitor where people's pupils are going, where people are looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I mean, I, you know, there's a lot. You know, can, we can talk probably you know, for 20 minutes about it, but just a very sort of brief overview is understanding that people, you know, when we pick up a book, we read from top, you know, top left hand corner, you know, across yeah. the page and down. Um, well, people don't do that with websites now. Um, they, their eyes will always go to the centre of the page. Yeah. Um, then their eyes will tend to move over to the left hand side, and then then after a few seconds, if they don't find anything interesting, it will move over to the right-hand side. Um, which is what you can sort of see now with like how websites are laid out. You have a left-hand navigation, yes. centre content, and maybe a right-hand navigation, and maybe a main navigation across the top. And the reason for that is that people have become um, used to the way that the website works, and making sure that your website does conform to these sorts of standards will help people use your site very easily yes. um, some people think it's clever to move your navigation over to the right hand side to be a bit different and quirky but all you're doing is you're going to annoy this, the user straight away yeah. Uh, yeah. even on the subconscious level I just wanted to mention something on that we saw this fantastic website and the, the way it was built was it didn't use standard navigation at all right. um, it had a 3D cube and you could spin the 3D cube and then you pressed on a particular site it would open up and then you had options within but, yeah, I mean it looked amazing the problem was that you go to it and that, they, after about two or three weeks of it running they added a link at the bottom saying how to use this website oh. and it was very clear the problem was you couldn't work out what you were doing where you were going very very you know original but the bottom line is no one was going to look at the website because after 10 minutes you were hugely frustrated you couldn't work out what you were doing and you know, that, that was the end of that website so, so it's, it's still running like that but I don't think they're getting a lot of traffic a lot of use out of it and was it, was it a flash based cube or yeah a, it was a big flash based right, cube okay. um, lots of inbuilt video and all kinds of things like that which is all very very nice but yeah. it doesn't really allow them to achieve their objectives and that's also very search engine unfriendly isn't yeah. it yeah. yeah I mean websites um, Google can now technically read the contents of a flash Page, but you're not going to get good rankings basically right. if you've got an entirely flash website. So. And I've also seen quite a few sites. Well, in fact, you don't see them so much these days. But where it says it's got some f- some sort of fancy graphic and it says click here to enter yeah. site, is that another sort of no no? Yes. Splash pages are. Yeah. Is that called a splash page? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, splash page, and you get this click here to enter the website, but you've done that by entering the URL and pressing you know, go. Right. So why do I have to take? Yeah, it's an extra, extra step. step. These barriers to information, what we call them, it's a nice infrastructure mm. thing. I think. 
Yeah. But, you know, it was very, you know, maybe five, six years ago, it was very in to have these flash splash pages, but... So don't splash out on splash pages. Absolutely. No. <laughs> it's a real no-no. It, it comes down to another usability thing, in that whatever you're looking for shouldn't be more than three clicks away. Yeah. So in terms of navigation, you maybe go to a topic, a subtopic, and then you'll find what you're looking for. Um, any more than three clicks, you see the dropout rate from the website, people not actually getting to what they want to achieve, gets very, very high very quickly. Right. Four clicks, you lose about 40% of people. Um, then five or six... You know, you're getting up to the 80, 90% kind of levels. Right. Just because people can't find what they're looking for, so they just drop out and go to another website. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that also people are much more less patient, you know, with, with being on the web. They want, they expect information now. This is one of the promises of the internet, it's information figure. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, the Kantar podcast, now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Fingertips, so people want that information you know, right now. Yes. Not having to wait, so as Daniel says, you know, they're, they're going to get less patient. Um, a really good example because we run a writing for web course where we do talk about web usability and a, a classic example I always use is um, local council websites um, and just the way they handle their, their bin collection times um, uh, we've done a lot of work with local councils in the past and we've always found that their websites that they really want to find you know most people come into a site to find bin collection times if you actually try and go onto most local council websites it's near on impossible to find <laughs> really? it will be really really you know, heavily buried down. Even if it's on a page, it'll be at the bottom. They'll tell you how many, um, you know, uh, EU targets they've met and how many bins they collect and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. But that's not the information that their primary target audience want. They want to know when their bins are going to be collected. Yes. So it's going all the way back to the beginning and thinking about what your target audience wants, the majority of people, and putting it up in the centre yeah. um, as much as possible. I think that's the first key thing people can do to actually try and make their sites more user friendly. 
Yeah. So it's, it's, it's putting a lack of priority on the information. So they're yeah. saying, well, what do they want to see first? Yeah, What's absolutely. the most important absolutely. thing to them? Yeah. And it's making it clear what the information is about, this whole writing for the web thing. You need to break web pages down into headings, short paragraphs, bullets. Yes. Um, a paragraph of text you know, is easy enough to read, but a set of bullets is a lot quicker and easier to read. So yes. if someone comes into a web page, you've literally got less than a second for them to judge what that web page is all about. Yes, I remember reading this, actually, because you mentioned uh, Jakob Nelson. Mm. I read one of his books, and he mentions that people scan on the net, don't they, yeah. rather than reading down. Yeah, completely. And it's quite it's actually quite difficult to read on a screen, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you don't have the same clarity there. There's mm. only seven, like, you know, you've got sort of not the same detail you do with print so your eyes become much more tired quickly people generally went, uh, read 25% slower online than they will offline Right. so making it very clear using um, uh, sorry, sans serif fonts so things like Vedana Tahoma, oh. Arial yeah, um, you know the ones without the little white or flicky bits. So these are, these are good fonts to use, aren't good they? Good fonts. Bad fonts are things like Times New Roman, which right. is very difficult to read. And yeah. putting large blocks of text into italics again is something that's going to slow people's reading speeds yes. down a lot further. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of things, mm. little things like that, that you can do to actually help help users to understand your, or read your page better. Right. Okay. Um, the other thing is focusing on the content, and really each page should be one topic. It should be focused on something very, yeah. you know, very clear. And if you want other topics then link off them to separate pages but make, make sure a page is very very focused people will scroll down a page but only if they already know the articles exactly what they're interested in reading about right. and they've got to what they're found about so classic example is the BBC website yes in the first of all you have an opening paragraph that's in bold that summarises everything that's there and then as you go down the page you actually that's when you're into the detail of what's actually going on so, right. so you drill um, down for the detail completely so, yeah. and I think it's just making it clear to people what it's about they know what it's about then they'll be willing to scroll down if they're not if they haven't found what they're looking for mm-hmm. people generally won't scroll down the page very much Yeah. Um, so anything below the fold as we say which is just basically off the bottom of the screen you have to scroll down to okay. generally won't be found unless someone's already interested in that page yes yeah, so this concept of the fold I've come across it before so it's, it's the bit you can't see when you yeah. first look at a web page because it's below the a little bit higher it's actually two ah. thirds of the way down mm. the screen oh, okay. people's eyes will not generally come that far down the screen Okay. it's you know if you think about the way that you know now with the mice with the little scroll wheel yes. people don't tend to actually sit there and you know they'll just sit there and scroll down with their finger bringing the information further back up to the page at the, the higher level yeah. so anything generally around two thirds below the page is what we call yeah, uh, that's the fold <clears throat> yeah. below the fold right um, and that's the sort of area that people actually Tend, tend not actually to bother with yeah. right. um, and, it's, and it's always important to remember that um, users prefer scrolling than clicking Right. Yeah. So um, keeping that, you know, so people don't have to click round right, you know, they'd much rather scroll down information. Do, do people use that the scroll wheel much? Mm. I think so. I mean, if you, evidence shown that? Yeah, absolutely, because if you notice what we found is that that bottom third of the screen rather than reading to the bottom of the screen and then going to the next level of the screen, people mm-hmm. will read the top two thirds, then scroll that up to the top of the page and then read it Right. So it's all about, you know, as a lot, a lot of people are doing. The thing with the scroll wheels, you can't assume many people have got them because, you know, lots of users do have them now, but yes. it's different machines, different types of mice, all that kind of thing. It's always going to be different. So you can't make any assumptions about that, but people do like, don't like, if they're focused on the topic, they're more than happy to scroll. Yeah. So, but scrolling sideways is just a big no-no. Mm. And of course, this concept of, of keeping a page very focused is also mm. good for search engine optimization, is it not? Yeah, absolutely, because yeah. it means that the search engine can see that a page is particularly focused on a topic, therefore it's going to give you a better ranking yeah. because it's a good focused content. That's assuming the page is well optimised and it's good quality content. Yeah. But if you can keep it focused, the search engine will know what it's all about. It can see a key focus on the whole thing. 
Okay, so let's say that we've done all these things. We've, we've got some feedback and we've made a few changes. How, how can we tell if it's actually worked? Is there any techniques we can use? Two things. User testing. Going back to that again, you should yeah. be iteratively doing this. So sit people down and say, right, go and find me the address or go and buy this product. Yeah. And just watch what they do and how they navigate through your website. And you'll be amazed. Even very web-savvy people will do things you'll completely not expect them to do. Yes. They'll search in different ways. Some people use search boxes. Some people will navigate. Um, some people will find a, a kind of a, a site map or a page index and mm-hmm. go that way. So it's good to watch people using the website and that will give you some good kind of pointers to see if they're finding things more easily. Yeah. The other thing is to look at the analytics again and say, okay, um, first of all, people were coming to our website and they were staying two minutes. They're now coming staying five minutes. They're going through the site more, right. but they're actually achieving the objectives. And you can set these things called conversion paths. Yes. Which basically say, okay, what a conversion for me is someone filling in my contact form or right. someone buying a product or someone finding my contact details. So it's a bit like a goal. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, and the idea being you've converted them into a customer. Right. So you look at it and you can set it up in Google Analytics, for example, or whatever tool it may be, and you can say, this is what I want them to do coming from the homepage. Yeah. And you can see what map of what pages people go through to get to that objective. So Google Analytics allows you to do yeah, that? absolutely. That sounds um, really good. Yeah, and it will just kind of, it will give you a good indication of the actual behavior of people when they get there, where they're dropping out, how long they're staying on individual pages, mm-hmm. um, and what percentage of people are getting to that final goal that you want them to get to. Right. Are they going off somewhere else and getting completely lost? Yes. Um, and then again, you feed that in, make some changes accordingly. And it's, it's, it's common sense, a lot of it, but it's just kind of thinking about the site from a user's point of view. Yeah. So you do that, you can't really go too wrong. Can we just talk briefly about mm-hmm. testing? Because it's a very yep. interesting... What's, what's the best way to test? I mean, get people in, in, into, into your office and watch them, people off the street? Or There's, what sort of people do you use? The ideal one is to think about who your target audience is yeah. and be using people as part of that target audience who right. are in that group. That's not always easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other problem is as well that when you're actually monitoring people, so you're kind of like, if you're sitting over someone's shoulder, yeah. it affects how they use a website. But they'll behave well. differently. Yeah, yeah. Completely. Yeah. You can get screen, screen recording software that will actually record what someone's doing on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the ideal situation where someone just goes in and uses a computer as they would do normally and it's just being recorded yeah. so you can monitor what they're doing but it's quite difficult to set up in, in an ideal situation right um, if you want to spend lots of money on it that's probably the way to go you get quite a large proportion of people of different users and that'll be effective but as you read to you before if you just take five users no matter who they are that will give you so much information for the first quite a long period of time you're better off doing that than doing nothing Right. So just take five, you know, selection of users from different kind of backgrounds. Yes. People using your website will be all from different backgrounds anyway. There'll be some computer savvy ones, ones that don't like the internet, some that are pro internet, all that kind of thing. So right. just good kind of mixed selection, five people, get them testing the website, give them some objectives to achieve, yeah. sit there and watch what they do and write down what they do. Okay. And just see where the bottlenecks are. Yeah, I think it's also important to remember it depends on the size of your website. If you're talking like a you know sort of like twenty thousand pound corporate website, you know with a huge audience, then you're going to want to think about putting some budget in there to actually get you know even going to an actual outsourcing it to a professional agency who will do user testing for you um, and getting your target audience actually onto your site and testing it out is the ideal situation. Yeah. But of course, that's not affordable for even you know sort of medium sized companies. Um, and just, just as we said, you know, getting five people to test it out will actually definitely find out um, all of the information. And also, as we've said, I think it's best to not actually just to observe them, to, to give them some tasks to do, as Dan said, and, uh-huh. just, and just let them get on with it um, yes. as if they were just using their site on their own. 
So you literally uh, sit them down and go, right, um, order order <coughs> this item, find and order this item. Yeah, find, yeah. Find, you know, I mean, you need to contact us, you know. Yeah. It's about, you know, don't be too specific. Yeah. But just sort of give them an idea about a task that someone would generally want to achieve. Right. And then just, you know, see see how quickly they can achieve it. Maybe ask some questions afterwards or something yeah. like that. And presumably, the five and six is, is enough, because... I guess if there's a big problem with the side, it's going to come up pretty quickly, isn't yeah, it? Any, yeah. any, any major odds will come up very, very quickly with just five mm. people, and you'll be surprised how much information five different users will give you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you don't want to confuse this with, with, your, with your, your internal testing as well, though, because you right. need to be going through your site with a, you know, sort of very, very, in, very you know, lots of detail. Yes. Checking, proofreading everything, you yeah. know, and doing you know, the obvious things to you, yeah. um, and then getting other people to test just to see generally how your site actually functions functions as a sort of as a whole. So there's an important distinction here, isn't there, between usability testing mm. and sort of more like technical testing. And QA and you know, yeah. QA and yes, that both the content and I guess the functionality of the site. Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Okay. Okay guys, well thank you very much. So what we've talked about is uh, what usability is and um, basically what you need to focus on. And um, knowing what your users are doing, knowing how to fix your site if it needs fixing. Absolutely. And checking it worked. Yeah, yeah. just so stay user focused. That's the thing. Stay, stay user focused. Yeah. After, after all, that is the, the name of the game, I guess. Mm. So, what are we talking about next time, guys? I think next time we'll probably be going into um, look at email marketing. Email marketing? Yeah, it's actually a very effective way of marketing, but also a very risky way if you don't do it right. It is, because we have all sorts of problems with spam, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. I look right. forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, thank you very much. That's Daniel Reynolds and Jeremy Jacobs from Academy Internet. And chaps, how can people contact you if they want f- to feedback or just talk to you? Um, just get to us at info at academyinternet.com. And that's Academy Internet, just one word. Okay, and phone numbers? Uh, Starting with plus four four. Plus, plus four four. Oh, if in the UK, not yeah. if not. And then one two seven three seven three three four three three. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.